I'd like to welcome everybody back to another edition of the TOT Cast. Uh, my name's Ryan Greco, and I'm going to be flying solo in this episode. Uh, we are recapping in this episode week number four of the Nike Crown League, and uh, we actually have a couple of very special guests um, that are going to be uh, gracing this episode, <laughs> gracing us with their presence. Uh, we have uh, Antwi Atuwahin of... Uh, one Love T.O., uh, one of the point guards for One Love T.O., a guy that I've actually known for quite a few years. I uh, see him around a lot of the uh, basketball events in the city. Uh, a guy who, um, you know, he's got professional experience. He played even playing alongside guys at Arizona State, such as James Harden going up against DeMar DeRozan uh, earlier in his career back in college. A really uh, accomplished uh, basketball player, and uh, I think everybody's going to be enjoying uh, that, that interview, a real X's and O's type of interview. Uh, and he even gets into... Uh, some of the details about how you might be able to be a part of the Crown League next year. If uh, you've came out to a couple of these games, uh, this event in general, and seen the games and went, you know, I think I could run with these guys. Uh, Antwi uh, shows you how you can get involved with that. <laughs> and so, like I said, week number four, what a week it was. Uh, very, once again, absolutely fantastic facility. Ryerson Kerr Hall was packed. The crowd was enjoying it. One Love T.O. was able to come over top of Maid with a 70-68 win. Junior Kadugan trying to get the last-minute shot for the second week in a row. Unfortunately, wasn't able to convert this time around. But, I mean, we still love you, Junior. You're still, uh, you're still out there representing hard for, uh, for Eastern Commerce. Meanwhile, C.I. Bounce was able to come away with a 69-62 win over the Northern Kings in the second game. And the third game was 9 now, overcoming Ace, 81-72. Just some very, very competitive games all the way through. And that's what you, that's what you hope to see when, when you're watching these games, is, is just competitiveness. When you have competitiveness, you've got a good product on the floor, and people were definitely enjoying it. It's a lot of basketball to take in uh, every single Friday night. But uh, honestly, it's, it's going to be just as good coming into uh, week five. Now, of course, this week, there's going to be a break because of Caravana. Uh, rightfully so, I believe, because you're going to be seeing a lot of these guys out in the parade having a good time, representing the Crown League well to the best of their abilities, also representing their own professional clubs or colleges, wherever they're playing right now. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, this is this is what it's all about. Now, this week's specific episode, we also have a very, very, very special guest, one that I wasn't expecting at the beginning of the week, but it happened. Got the call last week that the Canadian women's Olympic team was going to be making uh, an appearance at the turn at, at this at week number four. Uh, give them and we were able to give them all a, a proper send off before they head out to the real 2016 Olympic Games. And uh, to top it all off, I actually had a chance to sit down with Natalie Achenwa, uh one of the uh, power forwards for the Olympic team. Uh, a very very accomplished young woman as far as the game of basketball goes. I mean. Uh, the the list of accolades goes on and on. She's first ever Notre Dame player, first ever international player recruited by Notre Dame. She's got golds in FIBA, the Pan Am Games, of course. Uh, when all of all of these different things, we go into detail in in the actual interview. But once again, she was an absolute joy to uh, to speak with, um, and uh, she was out there really making her rounds in the media. And uh, you know, I even you know the fact that. Just had an opportunity just to go and sit down with her and have a conversation after she had been running through all of the media and other people. Um, definitely tired. It was a it was a long day. We we talk about that as well. But it, honestly, it was it was a fantastic uh, a conversation. So definitely looking forward to sharing that with all of you guys. But first up, we have Antwi Atuahin. 
and we're going to get started with that right now. So here we are. All right, we're here in the TOT cast, and we're joined by Antwiya Tuwahin, one of, uh, of course, one of the many players that are taking uh, part here in the Crown League. Um, just came off a victory, yes. much needed victory. It was an elimination game. Uh, Run, run some of your thoughts with me uh, just through that game and just uh, because you guys had just came off of a, a big loss the week yeah. before. And uh, what was what was the, the objective, the mindset going into this game? Um, I feel like our backs were against the wall because we weren't playing our brand of basketball. Um, the way we were successful last season with winning the championship was moving the ball, um, getting guys involved, and helping each other on defense. And I think last week we kind of got away from that. And we kind of did a lot of one-on-one basketball and one-on-one defense, not helping each other out and not communicating. So this week I felt like, we got down to the nitty-gritty, communicated, we shrunk the court on defense and spread the court on offense and led to a victory. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't tend to bring up when they're watching these events and they're watching these games unfold. It's always great to have NBA talent. It's always great to have national team talent that comes and plays for these teams, especially for the Northern Kings, for you guys, or for, um, for anyone else that's coming and playing. But at the end of the day, you can see sometimes, especially younger teams, we saw it with James Johnson yes. during the uh, second week, a lot of guys will go out of their way to try and force the ball to these guys and expect them to create something out of nothing, not realizing at the end of the day that there are a lot of talented players here as well that are going to be able to D up, especially as a team. You can't do one-on-five in this league. It's too yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, a lot, we have a lot of talented players that played high major division one, play professional basketball. So when you're fourth seed in one guy, it kind of takes away from the other four players on the team. And I kind of felt like we kind of did that last week. We weren't playing our game, and the way we won where we were successful is when we moved the ball and everyone touches it and everyone's involved on both ends of the floor, one through ten. Yep. And now, for someone who may even be listening to this podcast – and wonder to themselves, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good baller around this around the league, or I'm around I'm around the city. How does someone such as yourself even get involved in the Crown League? Um, the main thing you got to do is um keep your eyes and ears open for when the trials come and the workouts, and continue to do what you do and dominate, so people can talk about you and kind of get your name out there and play against the best players. Find where they're playing at in the city, go play against them and talk to them and build a rapport, build a relationship, and come out. Now you actually had a. You yourself is actually someone who's had some NCAA Division One experience. You were playing for Arizona State at one point. Uh, talk to me a bit, a little bit about that experience, and you know how things have, uh, how, how that experience was specifically, and then also just how it was transitioning to the professional game for you, especially playing in the NBA on the domestic league here in Canada. Well, I think um, playing in Arizona State was amazing, amazing for me for playing in a different conference in the Pac-10, which is now the Pac-12. I'm kind of an East Coast guard, which is um. Uh, big East, big, big 10 type of garden. That transition kind of taught me the game how to run, flow. So it was a great transition into pro life because even playing in the NBL, there's a lot of quicker guards, a lot of faster pace. And then playing overseas in China and um, Lebanon and places that I played in Colombia, that helped me adapt real, a lot quicker because in the Pac 10, every day I'm playing against one of the best guards in the world. I had OJ Mayo, Jordan Farmer, um, playing alongside James Harden, DeMar DeRozan. So every single day was something big. Mm-hmm. And building on that, I was like, I was found it fascinating watching you play because, you know, for people to obviously wouldn't know this, but we actually had a chance to run a couple of times back when I was playing Humber College and you would come out and uh, with some of the older guys on the Humber varsity team and come and play. And it was always a pleasure playing with you because you were a player and it was, it was different because playing with a guy like you, you were always playing with your head up yeah. and you even do it even here in the crown league. You watch even some of these younger guys, God bless them. They have all the athletic talent in the world, but they struggle to keep their head up when they're trying to drive to the basket or make a decision with the ball. Yes, I think uh, um, I appreciate the compliment. I'm growing up on um, a major thing for me because I was playing with the older guys, and older guys would really get mad at me if I didn't see them. So at a young age, I always learned to keep my head up and see the play ahead of the play. Kind of the you get mad at you get mad at me if I didn't have my head up. <laughs> exactly. So and vice versa. So it kind of taught me to keep my head up at all times because if you can't see what's going on, why are you on the court for? Mm-hmm. If you that means you just focus on yourself when it's a team game. So my job on the court is to make everyone around me better. 
and not really focus on me, meaning I have to have my head up, see what's going on, see where guys are on defense, communicate, and just be a leader. Now you've had uh, now that's something that you've taken from the program and been able to implement it here in you know a, a pro am league such as this. Uh, what are some of the things that you learned on the street that you were able to bring to the program besides hustle, besides all the the rhetoric, besides all the stuff that you know a lot of guys would just say you know hustle and heart and rep and all that good stuff. I mean that's all great intangibles, but at the end of the day, what is one of the things that you brought as a basketball player that you learned on the street that you couldn't learn in a fundamental system? Um, I think the biggest thing, and I talk about this a lot is the toughness of knowing the game is never over. You game is, until it's 0-0 zero, zero on the clock or until you beat that person when you're on the street playing one-on-one, over the case may be, sometimes you may be in a game at 7-1 to one and games to 9. you got to fight through every single game. Prime example, we're in a close game today. We had about a 4.5-point cushion. Junior Kaduki makes a big three, and that's a two-point game. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, now we have to take the ball from the side out. I have to tell guys, why are we celebrating? We have to finish this game. He almost won the game at the buzzer also. Yep. So it's never, ever over that, that kind of that feeling in your gut that you're not stop playing until it's at zero 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 on the clock and you win. Mm-hmm. That's what I take from the street game. And also, talk to me a little bit because this is one of the most fascinating things I've been watching in this Crown League is that any team that's had a number of really high-talented NBA-level players have actually come away with the losses. They're, they're sub-500 in this in this league. Talk to me about some of the, the challenges and differences because it's not because of a lack of talent. It, to your point earlier, it, it just seems to be something of a bit of a chemistry thing. So talk to me about the importance of getting guys like that going in a game when you're playing again, playing with guys like an Andrew Nicholson or a Brady Heslip because you are a guard. You are a point guard. You're a guy that comes up there and brings the ball and it's your responsibility to get the ball to other players. And the difference between that and also the difference of having guys who are maybe a little bit younger or maybe a little bit lower on the totem pole so you know they're understanding that they have to try and uh, work a little bit harder for the ball, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Explain to me and some of the people at home listening some of the differences it is guiding professional NBA players to guys that are pro-am players and guys who might be on the cusp, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest thing for me and what I do is um, early communication. Like Before the game, I'm going to pull Andrew aside, pull Brady aside. Like, Listen, I'm going to get you going in the flow of the game. I'm going to get some of these other guys going early because we need to get them going. We need them for the end of the game, and I'll make sure I pick my spots with you. I'm not going to force-feed the ball to you. I'm going to make sure you get the ball in the flow of the game and get these other guys around us going. So now in the fourth quarter, we have enough momentum going and everyone's more comfortable where they can win the game. So the biggest thing is communicating and um, letting everyone know, even if you're in the NBA or not, it's a team game. Mm-hmm. If you don't play a team game, we're going to lose. NBA, NBA All-Star, it doesn't matter. We're going to lose the game if we don't play a team game. That's the biggest thing I try to communicate throughout the whole game. Non-stop communicating, non-stop huddles, bringing guys in, managing our pro guys. Pulling them aside, like, take it easy. We'll come get you next time. Don't worry about that shot you missed. Swing the ball the next time. It's constant communication and letting everyone feel like it's a team that we're playing. Mm-hmm. Now, when you started, especially even when you were at Arizona State, they didn't have things like this up here. No. They didn't, they, there wasn't a domestic professional league. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you as a guy who's been around the way a few years now to see where the game has developed from the time where you left high school going into the NCAA mm-hmm. and now being able to come home and knowing that regardless – do you really do have a place here to play ball if if it comes if it comes down to it? How, explain explain what that what that means to you seeing that. Um, honestly, that it's a true blessing to see the growth of this game in Toronto and Canada because 
having something like this in your backyard where you can come home and compete against the best players and have an amazing crowd and amazing establishment, um, it makes you feel like you're doing something on a high level. And you have something to look forward to when you're in school. Like, I'm training so when I come home, I can play in the crown, I can play in the OVO, I can play in the NBL and make money professionally at home. So it gives that extra push instead of forcing certain things when you're in school, not knowing what's going to lead next and kind of get you stressed. So now it's amazing. I'm so happy and proud of what Toronto and what Canada basketball is doing on this level. Last question. You guaranteeing a back-to-back? Um, I'm guaranteeing that we're going to fight for a back-to-back. And I think we're kind of pulling our guys together now. Um, next week is huge, and I feel like um, the time now that we're getting to kind of get our chemistry back mm-hmm. is going to be is going to pay is going to pay a toll on us. And us becoming a better team this year is what we have to do to get it back to back. I mean, we literally just beat the best team in the league, and it was it wasn't an easy game, but we had control of the game in the last ten minutes of the game with their best best stars going at us. So I feel like if we continue to get better, continue to pound the rock, continue to make big plays, and continue to play as a team. I think the sky's the limit, and we can get that back-to-back. That's what the goal is. So you heard it here first. Antwi Atuwaheen guaranteeing victory back-to-back titles, but not really. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the TOT cast, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys next week. And uh, best of luck, and uh, we're rooting for you. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. And of course, that was Antwi Atuwaheen of One Love T.O., guard. Uh, also, uh, analyst extraordinaire. <laughs> I mean, once again... What more can you say about a guy like that who's uh, played with just about any walk of life you can imagine? NBA All-Star or a guy just coming off of uh, coming out of Ryerson or a guy who you just know around the way playing basketball with. I mean, he treats almost every game exactly the same. And uh, once again, it, it's great to see guys like that that are out here playing that you – you don't. They don't need to have a big name. You just proven that you don't need to be an NBA All Star to make a huge difference in leagues like this, and and just to have an effect on players. And and I think there's a certain level of camaraderie, even when you see the NBA guys come in here and the way that they interact with their teammates around here. I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or if it's a if it's just a basketball culture that's in the city because it just always comes across like everybody understands that we're in this together. And I think seeing that kind of camaraderie, but at the same time, spirited competition is something that um, you don't always see in a lot of other sports. And it's something that's not talked about a lot in basketball, especially. Especially after the previous generation of players beforehand. where, And even just the way the game is marketed today. It's all about the individual over the team, as far as marketing would tell you. About how, you know, look at how amazing Steph Curry can make that shot but you don't see the three guys that he was able to go a pick around to allow him to get that shot or spacing the floor that forces guys to have to guard Steph Curry one-on-one. It is a team game, very much to Antwi's point. So I think, you know, just when you see guys like that, it is it is a sobering reminder of the importance of all the guys on the floor and not just the big names. And I think even though the Crown League will always benefit and always require big names to be there for it to be the kind of event that it wants to be, I think that when you get a chance to get to know some of these other players that are coming and showing and proving on top of that, it's just good for everybody. One, it forces the pro players to be pros if these guys start getting on them. Because we've seen it a few times so far in the first couple of weeks where there's been guys that most people wouldn't even know. They might just know around the way or around the playground. And then there's other kids that may come here and have absolutely no clue who some of these guys are. 
and then you'll see them hit a jump shot over James Johnson, or you'll see him get a crossover on Bruno Caboclo, or you'll see them you know, get a rebound and put back dunk over Andrew Nicholson and force those guys to come back and go, all right, let me get you back, which most of the time they do. Don't get me wrong. But you know, just seeing that level of competition shows you immediately that these guys are no joke. So once again, talking to a player like that, it, it, it gives a much more in-depth look at how some of these teams are built and, and how they play the game, especially at the pro-am level, which is what the Crown League is, a pro-am entertainment level of, uh, of an event. <laughs> so now we move on to the women's national team. Uh, we've got uh, a, a very special interview. I wasn't expecting this. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, to have Natalie uh, come and uh, take, take some time, Natalie Achenois, uh, take some time out from the media rounds that she was doing and coming to speak to us uh, while one of the games was going on. And even just to see the big uh, event that they'd put out for the girls, they had the entire they had a drum line set up for them, sang the Canadian National Anthem, had a big flag in the middle. Cardinal Official himself made a quick appearance and was able to uh, introduce the girls himself. Uh, and I think that you know a lot of respect should be shown to Cardinal for coming out for that kind of for an event like this. Um, you know. And just the organization of it all has just been it's 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 all it's been very impressive. And I think once again I've been saying I've been, myself, Chris, Damar, we've all been kind of preaching about this this event because it's just it's one of the most unique events in basketball that you're gonna see in this country, period. And hell, even in North America for that matter. You know, you've got a lot of program leagues throughout the United States, but not I mean, how many are able to kind of bring out their 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 Olympic basketball team? Before they're sending them off the Olympics, that's not something you see every at every pro ham league. Let me tell you that right now. So once again, I had a chance to sit down with Natalie, and uh, we discussed a few things. And you want to talk about a girl who has accomplished so much, yet also at the same time came back from such diversity to start off her professional career. We'll get into details of that in the interview, but I think she's just a fascinating she's a fascinating story to watch. And the best part about it is this girl's just getting started. She is only, to my knowledge, right now twenty three years old. So a lot of basketball left for this girl in the WNBA and in the Olympics, hopefully. So here is our interview with Natalie Achenois of the Women's Canadian Olympic Basketball Team and of the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. We're here on the TOT cast, and I have the pleasure of being joined with a member of the Canadian Women's Olympic Basketball Team, Natalie Achenois. I'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us uh, on the TOT cast today, and how are you feeling uh, today? I mean, great. We just got to camp, and uh, we're just starting off, so it's really exciting to be here and be a part of Canada basketball again. Of course. I mean, you guys just did a two-a-day as well, so I can imagine that, you know, <laughs> just doing the media and all the attention going on here, it's got to be exciting for you guys, especially just a couple of days away from heading out. It definitely is exciting. I mean, the last go-around, we didn't have the opportunity to do all this because we qualified so late. So being able to qualify a year in advance gives us the fun opportunities to be able to talk to the media, to be able to do events like today with the Crown League. I mean, it's just really exciting for us. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do want to start off just talking a little bit more about you specifically. I mean, you've had the opportunity. I mean, first of all, playing for Notre Dame, even in NCAA, and just being the only international player they've ever recruited and brought on a scholarship. I mean, how does something like that even come about? And describe that kind of that feeling that you had coming into that camp and coming into those experiences in college. I mean, it's an honor. Anybody that knows me knows that I represent Canada and everything that I do and with a passion and with a smile on my face and with pride in my heart. So to be able to be the only international player to play for Notre Dame um, and to represent Canada even when I'm in college uh, is honestly an honor for me. And I'm just 
really blessed that opportunity also to play in college and go to school for free. So there's lots of benefits from basketball. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's just a blessing that I get to do this for a living. Absolutely. And so um, now, of course, you, and great success, too, while we're at it. You know, you had an opportunity to go to, it was uh, uh, three Final Fours. Was it four, four Final Fours and three national title games? And even having that experience, getting national exposure, um, it, but it wasn't all, all glitter is gold in a sense because you ended up having going after some adversity, especially in your senior year of all years, tearing your ACL. Um, now, describe to me a little bit about what it was like trying to come back from that and even just having a team, the Indiana, Indiana taking a chance on you and drafting you uh, in, in the first rounds. Uh, describe to me that process of what it was for you to get back into game shape and be ready for, uh, for a season, even after having to watch from the sidelines for the first year of your professional career. It was definitely hard. I mean, tearing your ACL and doing that kind of rehab, extensive rehab, it, it's hard. It takes a mental, emotional, and physical toll on you. And it's not just the physical part of it. My first day of rehab, I cried because my trainer said, do a quad set. And I just tried to do it, and nothing happened. There was no twitch in my leg. So uh, it definitely takes a toll on you. But I honestly wouldn't have changed it for the world. Um, I'm a better person from it. I'm mentally stronger. I'm emotionally stronger. And I had the time to really take that year and to reflect on how bad do I really want this? How bad do I want to play basketball? And anybody that goes through that knows that you need to have something like that that pushes you um, because it takes a toll on you. And uh, I mean, but here I am. I'm a professional athlete. Uh, I'm representing Canada on a global stage, um, and I get to play basketball and, and for a living. So God works in mysterious ways, and I'm just happy that I still get to do what I love. And I just wanted to ask you real quick, after that journey, what was it like stepping on a WNBA floor for the first time? Yeah, it was it was exciting. Uh, my my first year coming back, I didn't know what to expect. So it was it was emotional toll. It was ups and downs and good days and bad days. But uh, it 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 made me stronger. And in, in, in my second year representing the Indian Fever, a team that it took a chance on me. I mean, sitting out that whole year, um, they really took a gamble, and I, I will never repay a debt, but I will work hard to repay that debt for them to take a chance with me at that ninth pick. Mm -hmm. Now, you all strike, you strike me even just, we've only had a couple of minutes to sit here and speak, <laughs> and you already you know, strike me as somebody that you enjoy the big moments. You've had a lot of big moments so young in your career already. Um, you know, even with the FIBAs and being in the WNBA Finals, even in, their, in your very first year, um, you've done a lot of things that a lot of players at your age really haven't experienced up until this point. And has there been anything different about coming to the Canadian national team, especially heading into Rio? Is there any kind of different expectations your coaches now have on you as a player? Or is it still just more of a whole team mentality? Uh, what, what are some of the things that you either, either coaches may have put expectations on you or you've put on yourself? I mean, I'm always going to be my hardest cr critic, um, no matter what, because I know that the work that I put in to get here, so I'm always going to be hard on myself. But I think with this team, the best part of this team is, is that it's a team in the entire word of team. Um, the chemistry that we have, the way we work together, the way we depend on each other, there is no one person in this team. And uh, the, you could even say there's no I in team. It is to the 100% sense in this Canadian team, and we work together no matter what. So um, I don't think there's any individual pressure on me or anybody on our team because we know that we're better together than we are individually. Mm -hmm. um, and that has always been a strength of ours. Now, also real quickly, uh, being in that WNBA locker, especially after the Pan Am Games and you guys winning gold, beating the Americans to do it. <laughs> has there been any kind of trash talking going on in the locker room at all during the season? Or has there been, or do, do some of these girls start 
paying a little bit more closer attention to you guys now that you were able to pull that off last year? I don't know if I would call it trash talking, but I, I do remind them of that gold medal that we do have over the U.S. <laughs> in the Pan Am Games. Um, and I have taught a couple of my teammates the beginning part of O Canada. So we're, we're teaching Americans, one little American at a time. So uh, I know, but all joking aside, uh, uh, we're ready to compete. We're excited to compete. And um, when you put in the work, it gives you that confidence. Um, and knowing the work that our teammates put in together gives us that confidence going into the games. Mm-hmm. Now, final question. We had um, – I, I found out that you were actually a soccer player originally. <laughs> yes, a long time ago now. <laughs> yes, and you were, you were playing soccer. And, you know, I find it kind of ironic how the Canadian women's basketball team doing what they did in the Pan Am Games mm-hmm. – uh, being able to capture the nation's attention like that, much in a similar way that the women's national soccer team did in London in 2012. Now, if you were able to talk to Canadian sports fans, if you're able to talk directly to them right now, what would you? What, what would be your selling point to this team to say to give that the reasons that they should have to get behind this team? Because I'll say right now, you guys have actually shown some considerable results since even the last 2012 Olympics compared to the women's national soccer team and their media darlings. Mm -hmm. So what is it that you would be able to tell sports fans in Canada the reasons to get behind this team? I mean, there will be there will be two things. It's not even looking at the results. It's not even looking at the medals. It's go watch us as a team, as a gym, sing the national anthem at Pan Am Games. It'll give you chills. It is a 10-second soundbite. You will never see a team that would represent Canada with as much pride as we do. Any time that we put on a Canada shirt, we know we're representing more than ourselves, and we take the utmost pride in that. And and we're gritty. We'll fight um, no matter what. We'll be on the floor. We'll be scratching and clawing. And that's how we got to where we are, and that's what we'll stick to. So that grit and that pride is us 101. So if you if you want to see some of that, and if you want to see a team that uh, will never give up because we know we represent our our country, um, come and watch one of our games. Well, if there's one thing Canadian sports fans love, it's a scrappy team, and yep. we've seen it with you guys in the 2015 Pan Am Games, and I'm sure we're going to see it in Rio. So Natalie, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out and uh, speaking with us today. Thanks Appreciate for having it. me. See ya. Of course, that was uh, Natalie Achenois. Once again, thank you so much, dear, for joining us. I mean. Uh, it was great to have you on, and we hope to uh, speak to you again at some point uh, on this podcast. Um, and really, closing thoughts for this week. It was a uh, a couple of really close games, uh, a really spirited event that we've seen from before. But I mean, the nice touch of having the women's Olympic basketball team show up for a cup for uh, for a game, uh, and just getting the standing ovation that they got singing the national anthem, just making a big deal about them, making them feel special. Not because I honestly feel like this this could be the team that people are going to get behind, much in the same way that the women's national soccer team got that kind of love for the London Olympics. And, you know, even to this day, those those girls are still getting their games, even international friendlies, primetime CBC sports coverage. Um, they're always kind of in, in, in and around sports headlines about how they're going to be doing. Um, and, you know, whether it's their marketability of their stars, whether it's Desiree Scott, Christine Sinclair, uh, Kadisha Buchanan being the future that she is for that team. Um, you know, you could see that kind of love that they're getting for that. And it's a very popular sport, of course, in the game of uh, 
of basketball, or sorry, the, the game of soccer. It's a very popular sport here in Canada, but one thing that people tend to forget is that basketball is just as much of a popular sport in this in this uh, in this country, especially for women. And you're seeing the results of it for players like Natalie, who are getting recruited to these high profile schools that would have never look twice outside of their borders the way that they are now, especially with teams from Russia and Australia. They're also, they've always been powers in the women's basketball game. And of course, the giant in the room is the, is the, is the women's American team. And just the fact that Canada was able to come away with the victory in the Pan Am Games over that American team, I think it says volumes for how far along this team has came. And these girls are ready to play. And I have no doubt in my mind that I think they're going to be that next big deal, much like the women's Canadian national soccer team has been for the past four years since the London Olympics. So it's going to be all very interesting to see how it turns out. Natalie, we wish you the best of luck in Rio. Um, and uh, also, once again, I want to thank uh, Ansui Atuahim uh, for joining us as well in the TOT cast. Uh, great player. Look out for him. One love TO. They're going to be playing next, not next week. It's taking a one-week break because of Carabana, as I said before. So get yourself back out there. The next event for the Crown League is going to be taking place on Friday, August 5th. So keep that in mind. There is no Crown League this week. It will be next week. Uh, But be sure to get out there. Register with Nike.com to get yourself a a seat in the gym. It's going to be packed, and you never know who's going to show up. Last week it was Cardinal Fischel and the women's Olympic team. Next week... Who knows what's going to happen. And heck, the week before that, we had a couple of NBA guys coming. And even last week, sorry, week number four, we had Joel Anthony here as well, the Detroit Pistons. So once again, extremely excited to see what's going to be happening moving forward. Uh, Girls, good luck. We'll be rooting for you. And uh, if you ever want to reach us on the Tip of the Tower, reach us at Twitter, at Tip of the Tower. Reach me, Ryan Greco, at RyanGreco416. You can also reach us out to us on the Facebook page. The likes will always help. The rates and the comments on the iTunes podcast is always a huge help to us. That is probably like the number one thing I could ask you guys to do right now. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, please like the podcast. Five-star rating will always be appreciated. The comments, it gives us the notoriety we need to be able to continue to do these things. So once again, thank you very much, guys. And we will see you next week.